Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, and welcome to the Master and Pursuit podcast. This is, of course, the podcast that brings you a number of things. It brings you workouts where I record myself doing a session and you can download it and plug it into your ears and run the session as if I'm there with you. It's the podcast that brings you recovery rambles where I run easy around the stunning Epping Forest with big blue skies today and talk about something that's on my mind. And it's the podcast that brings you conversations with the elites as part of our scheme to invest in underfunded British elite marathon runners. And today, on Thursday the 6th of July, that's what we've got as part two of our mini-series into women in sport. The mini-series that is looking at how women's sport is developing, how it's changing, how the status quo is shifting, and looks a little bit about what sits behind that, but also what still needs to be done for there to be equality between men's and women's sport. And last time in the first part of the mini-series, we, it was a recovery ramble where I chatted through some stats and facts and some thoughts and built some hypotheses. And we're now going to look at some of those hypotheses in perhaps a little bit more depth through the eyes of women in sport, particularly running, both amateur and professional Interestingly, since the first episode, I heard from one person that I coach, which is Emma, who's doing a big ultra this weekend, and she's gone with a fueled by all of this. She thought she would tell all the kids at the nursery that she runs about what she was doing. And it was interesting because Emma told me that she told the kids, and the kids relayed the message perhaps in a Chinese whisper style to the parents who refused to believe that it was 100k that Emma was running and assumed that they'd heard it wrong and it could only possibly be 10k and that's interesting because it tells you quite a lot about what people think people are capable of making assumptions perhaps because she's a woman perhaps because she's a nursery teacher perhaps because She's relatively new to running, but it's quite an interesting example of how society creates expectation and determines what you're capable of. And the truth is that nobody really knows what anyone is capable of, certainly not until we try. And so on that basis, let's talk to one of Britain's best ever marathon runners. We have spoken to her many times before, of course, but this time taking a slightly different angle. A brief catch up and then into the meat of the topic. So the next voice you'll hear is me in my spare bedroom slash office slash recording studio speaking to Charlotte Perdue about whether athletics is, in fact, the most equal of sports, from a prestige, popularity profile, pay, participation, all the P's from that perspective. And so we're going to test that out in the next 40 minutes or so. So Charlotte, how are you and where are you right now? Where are you both geographically and in terms of your training? Hi, uh, yeah, I'm in St Moritz in Switzerland, uh, training is going yeah really well so touching wood um getting in a good base out here um just came out for a change of scenery and um yeah just to mix things up really so I like to do altitude um a couple of times a year if I can just because I find it it's a good training stimulus so yeah that's why I'm here. St Moritz is at what altitude? 
Uh, it's 1,800 meters, so I think it's around 7,000 feet. Yeah, cool. So, you've, and you've been there for how long? Uh, I have been here for three weeks. Okay, good. So you're getting those good adaptations in. And this is all in preparation for an autumn marathon? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just uh, to get a block in, to get fit, and then start marathon training, really, when um, in a month or so. Great. You're in a much better place than you were in the spring. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, like one thing after another in the spring. So, yeah, kind of had a little reset and, uh, yeah, in a much better spot now. Okay, good. Well, that's good to hear. But today we I'm going to talk about what your training is like right now and what you're training for and all those types of things that we might have done in the past. Today I want to go all the way back to when you were a little one and talk about, you know, where you came from and how you developed through the sport. So to get into that, I'd be really interested to understand a little bit more about how you actually got into sport generally in the first place, but then how you landed on running and athletics as, as your thing. Uh, yeah, so I went to um, an all-girls school when I was 11. Um, I didn't run or do any like specific sport until then. I just did like a bit of everything um, at like junior school and stuff like that. Like, obviously PE, but I didn't do anything outside of PE. And then when I went to secondary school um, at age 11, um, some friends of mine signed me up for like a cross country. Um, it was just against all the other year groups. So each class had to put in like three or four girls and then the whole year group competed. And then um, I think it was like the top six in the year group went to represent the school. Um, and I actually finished sixth in this race. Um, and I'd never really properly run before. I'd obviously, like I said, done different kind of sport in junior school but nothing specific and then yes I came sixth so my friends were like <laughs> they were just shocked basically because I didn't didn't really run before um but yeah top six went to represent the school so I went to represent the school at the district champs um and it was cross country and when I was at the district champs a coach was there from Aldershot um and Farnham District Athletics Club Mick Woods he was there watching like other athletes that he coached um that were part of the club um and at the end of the race he was talking to one of the girls who goes to my school um I think she came like she won the race probably or second or third um and he kind of looked at me and he was like do you run for a club and I said no um, and he was like, I watched you in the race. You started off at the back and you worked your way through and you've got, you looked really good up the hills and you got good endurance and all this stuff. And then he was like, you should come to my athletics club if if you want. And I was, I was like laughing, thinking this is stupid. Mm -hmm. um, but then, yeah, the other girls from the, from my school were kind of telling me, you know, you should, you might as well come. So eventually I did go down to the club, I think one evening and then, yeah just kind of took off from there really I, I like really enjoyed it when I went down to the club and then I started off going like once a week and then three times a week and then I started doing races for the club and I say it was when I started doing the races where I was like oh this is like good I, I enjoy this like it was more the racing that I enjoyed um and then obviously with the training um I wanted to get better to do better in the races so I went to more training sessions and then yeah <laughs> Oh, so you were spotted. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. I didn't <laughs> do very well in the districts. I think I was like 16th or something, I remember. Um, there was only like 40 people in the race or maybe even less, like 30. So it wasn't like I won or anything. But yeah, I think he just saw, I don't know what he saw, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting because it's sort of similar to how you run now, right? So you run steady and then you come through the field. Even even now, that's how yeah. you tend to operate rather than going for it from the gun. And perhaps that's that is the way. And if you, especially in kids' sport, you know, I see it when I watch my boys do their cross country races. You say to everyone beforehand, "Don't go off too fast. Don't go off too fast. Don't go off too fast." And they all go off at a million miles an hour to the first corner. Someone sprinted to the front. He's then knackered and falls to the back. And it's the ones who keep it steady who've learned that, obviously, at a young age to come through. And obviously, that's something that is fairly difficult for people to do when they're younger. And obviously, he spotted that, you know, your capability more than that. And if you come through a field, you, it, you usually think that people can do better, don't you? And get better as, as a result, which I always think is interesting. So that's that's cool. But just go back to junior school. You did no organised sport, no gymnastics, no dance, any of that sort of outside uh, school Yeah, clubs. I did. When I was four, I did ballet and then... Mm -hmm. um, like tap dancing as well I did that from the age of four till probably the age of 
like eight, seven or eight. I was pretty good at it. Like I would, my mom would always joke because I wouldn't um, practice for any of the exams. Um, and there was a couple of girls who like their mums would make them practice like all the time. And we would all turn up to the exams and I would just walk in like having not practiced at all. And I think all the judges and stuff, they thought I was just really cute because I was small and like mm-hmm. did all this dancing. And I would always come out with the top score. And these other girls that were like practicing all day, they would come out with like less of a score and they couldn't understand <laughs> how I would come out with a good score. But yes, I did that. But I wouldn't, well, obviously I wouldn't really say like tap dancing was necessarily like a sport sport, but mm, no. um I did that, yeah, but no, no, nothing else really. Just like swimming lessons, just the standard. Yeah. Um, no ball sports. No, not a cl- member of a club, tennis. Or no, like nothing. That. We went on holiday, and I did like a tennis academy for a week or something. But honestly, I was probably terrible at it because I didn't continue after. <laughs> um, so no, nah, nothing. Um, and, and do you think when you did PE at junior school, do you think your um, what's the best way of putting it? Your skills and talent was overlooked. I can't think. I mean, at um, at junior school, like eight year six, I remember doing like athletics and stuff in PE and did like a bit of hurdles and like running. But I just rem- remember like my dad's got videos of me at the sports day and uh, we did like a, the longest race of 600 meters. And I'm like, not last, but pretty much last. <laughs> um, I just think I wasn't I wasn't very good as a kid. Like, I don't know. Um, I just don't think like compared to the others that I was that good I obviously enjoyed doing sport like but whatever it was if it was netball like one day I would probably go to netball after school just for fun but the next day I do hockey and then the next day athletics it wasn't like athletics was the thing that I was drawn to it was only when I did that cross country at secondary school when um, when it was like an opportunity but I don't know for example if at secondary school if my friends had signed me up for hockey had and then I'd gone to a hockey event and a coach had come over to me and said um you're going to be a great hockey player one day and I'd pursued that would I have been just as good at hockey I have absolutely no idea yeah (laughs) Um, I don't think I have a specific talent for running I think just like when someone told me you know you might be good at this and then I set my mind to it I feel like I just like focused on it and then became good yeah I mean I think what's interesting about that is the sense that it kind of took someone to to spot something to pull you aside literally and go that we we can focus on this if you want to do it and if you enjoy doing it you might get quite good at it and it kind of took somebody else to spot that but I think for I wonder if for boys it's slightly different because boys are you know especially at that age they're starting to grow and they're getting bigger and they're quite aggressive and they're quite they're playing lots of football and other sports and it's a bit more obvious what's happening for boys but girls tend to get hidden and lost a little bit Obviously, I went to a girls' school for secondary school, so there wasn't any boys. Yeah. So that was different for me because it was just, yeah, I couldn't really get lost because I was in a girls' school. But before that, I was mixed. Um, but, yeah, I don't really remember, to be honest. Um, I just remember, like, enjoying every different sport and just not particularly being very good at any of them, but just enjoying doing it. Yeah, which is great, isn't it? And that's what we should be telling our kids, I think. Just enjoy it first and foremost and then if you get good great but otherwise you know just focus on enjoying it for the sake of enjoying it for the, for the time being and see where it leads yeah. so you did enjoy it. you enjoyed the racing and then because you enjoyed the racing and you knew you needed to train to race you started to enjoy the training because today I look at I think of you as you know a great racer but you also you love training you love getting out there every day and putting the miles in so that's something you've learned to do because at the beginning that's probably hard yeah so you then were in the club for a number of years when uh, and this was so you're that was between 11, let's say 11 and 14. Um, so this is early 2004, something like 2004, 2007. Is that about right? Yeah, 2007. I was 15. I remember. Did you have role models at that point externally? So people who you didn't know who were probably female who were inspiring you? Yeah, there was like other girls at the club that were like really good and representing Great Britain um, at the time. So for me, it was like if I trained and became good, that would be like a pathway I could go to. Um, so I remember in 2008, all of the girls at the club, we all like had a party to watch Steph Twell at the Beijing Olympics. She ran the 1500 um, and we were all like really excited about that because we were young and like training with Steph and we saw her go to the Olympics. So that was pretty 
inspiring and then yeah like European crosses and stuff it was just like they were doing it so you know if you trained you could also do it um kind of vibe um because we were doing the same training basically except obviously slower and a little bit less volume um so yeah they I guess they were the role models immediately because I saw them like three times a week training yeah so they're quite approachable in the sense that you knew them you would talk to them and therefore you look at them and think well if they can do it I can do it yeah pretty much yeah yeah okay and what about at a sort of higher level so you know that that period of time was coming towards the end of Paula's Paula Radcliffe's time at the top um but I'm thinking Kelly Holmes the Athens Olympics were these people that you looked up to or not really yeah no definitely they were um I'd say it was just more like not unreachable but I saw them more as like superstars kind of that yeah like freaks of nature whereas um the people that I saw every day running for Great Britain they were more like relatable to me um so yeah I'd say I found my training partners like more inspiring than um them just because it seemed like something that was in reach yeah that makes a lot of sense and so that that power of the peer group and the, the slightly older group was really important throughout that period of time as you were growing up through the sport and at what point did you start competing nationally and then internationally? I think it was um uh there was one year where I was like a junior girl and I won the national cross, the intercounty cross and the English schools cross in one year. And obviously if you came top six in the English schools, you went to represent um England in the cross country. So that was my first like international. I represented England against like England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales. And then I think it was maybe two years later, I ran the inter-counties as a, uh, I was a junior, like first year junior, I was 15. And yeah, I was under, I ran as the under 20s and I made the team for the World Cross Country in 2007. Um, so that was my first Great Britain. So you were in the senior Great Britain team? No, 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 junior. junior. Uh, well, under 20. Under 20. Yes, but I was okay. like, still, I could still technically be like an under 15 yeah yeah uh, so, you, so you have five years development to come over some of the other girls who were competing at the time yeah <laughs> I couldn't I remember the year before I ran Liverpool cross country and I did actually qualify for the European cross country champs but they weren't allowed to take me because Great Britain have a rule where you can't represent GB unless you're in your 16th year um, and because I was 15 and it was before Christmas I wasn't in my 16th year so I couldn't go to the European cross um, but then the next, the following March was when I represented Great Britain at the um, World Cross Country because I was in my 16th year, but I was still 15. Um, yeah. And that was my first like GB best. Yeah. 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 Okay. And what, how did you get so good? So from 11, when you, you know, you ran your first cross country, came sixth in the school competition. And then <laughs> within four years, you're representing, you know, you're qualifying for the under 20s and also you know, being good enough to run um for the senior team how did that happen so quickly honestly I think just training like well it has to be just training um yeah there's a lot of hard work I mean like I said I was going to the like organized training sessions like three times a week and they were like big workouts and then in between that I was doing like easy runs I can't remember like how many times a week I was training but like the sessions were pretty big and then the racing I I guess I just I don't know, I just worked my way mm. <laughs> my way up. Can you remember the volumes you were running at the time? No, I remember like Tuesday, Thursday, Sundays were the big sessions and then Saturday we would meet for a long run. But when I say long run, it was like 70 minutes. So it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't yeah. like a long run. But back then I thought it was a long run. But of course, minutes. yeah, it was then. Um, but so they were the times when I was meeting with the group. Um I can't really I think on a Monday I would do like a 40 minute run after school and then on a Wednesday the same and I remember Friday was like my rest day so I was running like six days a week and the sessions were really hard I just remember that like Sunday was like a big session I think I was running like 10k volume sessions on a Sunday um they were like beasts Mm. (laughs) beastie sessions yeah um at the time and were you do you suffer any injuries at that point or not you presumably not if you were able to uh, after representing GB in 2007 I got my first injury um 
a foot injury, which turned out to be like a bone stress reaction um, of my navicular bone, um, which we caught early, which was lucky because that's like quite a nasty bone that you don't really want to fracture. So yeah, I got a stress reaction there um, after the world cross country. So I don't know if it was from like the uneven ground or something like that. Um, But yeah, it took a bit of time off after that. Uh, That was my first proper injury Uh, until then. No. No, okay. And that period of time, so that age from 11 through to 15, when you go through puberty, and not you specifically, but girls in general go through puberty, is usually the point at which girls drop out of sport. And there's loads of reasons for that that are really well understood and recognised and because people ask girls. And it's often about body image, it's about things changing, it's about lack of support for girls in sport because typically girls playing sport hasn't, hasn't been encouraged, certainly in, in generations prior to yours, it, girls were not particularly encouraged to play sport. How did you get through that? Why did you carry on? And what did you see going on around you? Did, did you see girls sort of dropping out at that time? Yeah, so when I first of all did that cross country, the girls that f- were ahead of me in the school, like none of them run now. Um, and they were all like really good. Like they were winning um, like all the like Hampshire races, so county level. And then they were like going on to represent like the county uh, into counties and stuff. And none of them run um, now. And um, if I look back, I think the correlation like between why maybe they don't run is there was a mixture of things. Like some of them were their parents were um, like quite, I'd say like pushy parents where they were, you know, at the races, they were like, telling them what to do in the race and like I just would turn up to the race my mum and dad didn't have a clue about running because they don't run and they were really naive just like what do we do now they were like asking me what what to do and stuff whereas these parents were like full-on making their daughters like walk the course like do all this stuff and I was just like well this is intense (laughs) um that was like one thing where I think like maybe they didn't enjoy it as much and their parents were maybe forcing them a little bit obviously I can't speak for them so I don't know but um from my eyes it looks like a bit intense um for that age and then obviously like studies and stuff like as you get more um into like senior school obviously like school takes over and it's quite intense you know some people obviously might have wanted to be like a doctor or something and think like oh I can't run at the club three nights a week because I need to be revising for my GCSEs um whereas I was kind of like able to mix both because not that I wasn't bothered about school but I wasn't really like, oh, I need to revise for five hours and I kind of person. Um, I was able to do a bit of both. So I think like those two things contributed to maybe why those girls dropped out, um, like school pressures and maybe they just didn't enjoy it as much. Um, But for me, I think like I did enjoy it and I was the driver. Like my parents didn't never like force me to go running. They were the ones that were like, if it was raining, they would say to me, oh, do you have to go running tonight? And I would say, yeah, I do have to go running. <laughs> um, they couldn't really understand why I would go running in the rain. They thought it was crazy. Um, but obviously they were supportive, but they weren't like pushing me to do anything. So I think that definitely helps because I see now like some parents um, might reach out to me on social media, like about their son or daughter and how they can become better and I just think like, oh, they're so young. They just need to enjoy it. Like you can have such a long career that um, if you're pushing a child to do it at an age, like under 15, I would say it's just not really worth it. They have to be the ones that are wanting to do it. Mm. I think that's really interesting. So that inner drive is the thing that made you what you are now, but is the thing that got you through that, what I would describe as a difficult period for girls in sport and participation it's like you just wanted to do it. You enjoyed doing it. You wanted to train in the rain and various other conditions, but you also wanted to race. And because it comes from you, it's a lot easier. So there's no external forces, no external expectation from coaches or from your parents in particular, who are obviously the biggest influences in, in your lives. That there was none of that. It was all about you. Yeah, 100%. It was like um, everyone was shocked Like when I would turn up to a race and I would do better than everyone expected they were like oh well done like they didn't expect me to do it so it was kind of like every time it was like motivation for me to get better but there was yeah never any like pressure I'd say at all until obviously then I put more pressure on myself once I got older and stuff like that but um until 
yeah when you're like on the rise up like no one really expects you to do anything <laughs> yeah which is interesting because you're obviously at the top of the game now and for a period you were obviously at the top as well when you were a junior but before that you weren't right so like I said when you're 11 you didn't win you came through I mean you didn't even win your school race let alone winning anything nationally but within four years you had so you've got to a point where you've actually had to push your way through it wasn't about the winning at the start because you weren't winning it was just about the enjoyment of it yeah yeah it was like um yeah it was pure enjoyment and more like social the races were social because we would go up on like a coach all together as a team and then um like do these cross-country races and it was for me it was just like a fun weekend away (laughs) um it was never about like winning or anything it was just the race was kind of like oh yeah that's just part of the weekend (laughs) um obviously once I started to win then more people would obviously expect me to win but I still think like it was just fun I just really enjoyed it I don't think there was any ever any pressure at all and were there times when you didn't win when you felt you should have done yeah, so that year where I won like everything in England, obviously I went to represent England at that cross country. I came, I remember I came second at the um like international cross country and everyone kind of thought that was like a disappointment because I'd won everything in England the whole year. I'd literally been undefeated and then I come second. I think an Irish girl beat me. I can't remember who it was, but um everyone was like oh you know what happened and I was just like well I just got beat by someone better than me it was kind of like just one of them like I literally just got beaten by someone better than me um but yeah that at the time that was like a disappointment maybe because it was the first time I'd properly lost after winning for so long but then I think the next year I just came back and yeah I don't know I can't really remember what happened after that but yeah I remember that was the first time I was like maybe a bit disappointed that I lost something so you were disappointed um, yeah. because you hadn't met your own expectation or because you hadn't met expectations of others? I think a bit of both, really, because I'd gone like I literally had been winning. I say easy, but obviously it probably wasn't easy, but I'd won everything like that whole year across like road, track, um, cross country, especially. So then, yeah, to get beaten by someone at across country, which I thought was like my specialty event. Um, I think I was a bit annoyed about that yeah <laughs> yeah okay so and what did you do with that frustration did you because it's easy at that point to go oh, I'm, I'm not the best I'm, I, someone's beat me and it's at that age where girls do drop out of sport could you have did you consider giving up or was it always no I'm gonna get better no I think I just put it down to a bad day and then just thought you know just move on kind of thing like I still came second which was still like decent yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I just uh, expected myself to win after all the other wins but I think it was good because you know you can't just go through life winning everything um, no. I think like having some disappointments early on was probably good because it taught me that it doesn't come easy definitely I, I think that winning all the time as a junior is actually really unhealthy because you build up a sort of mentality that you you're always going to win no matter what you do and that com- what comes with that is either complacency or arrogance or both and for any junior, that's not a great place to be. You need to be on your guard. So you get that lesson, you lose. You go, right, as long as we take some learnings from this and work out what we need to do differently going forwards, it's actually all right. Losing can be healthy at a younger age, I think, especially when there's no expectations placed upon you. That's the key thing. Yeah. So that all sounds great. And you had a good peer group and you were pushing yourself and developing and coming through as an athlete. And that, and I think we all believe that peer groups are really important in running to keep us in check, to give us motivation, give us targets to chase if we're not at the top of that group. But peer groups can also be dangerous, can't they? Is, was there any time in, in that part of your life when the peer group didn't work for you? Uh, yeah, so I'd say... Um towards the end of my time at Aldershot it just became a bit uh competitive within the group um every session instead of being like a session it turned out to be like a race I I found and um it was just a bit unhealthy uh I'd say but also at the same time I look back and I think like well we were that good because we pushed ourselves that much um and as a club we were we had the best girls group in maybe in the world like literally we came Mm. one two three four five six in the European cross and I think about four of those girls were part of my training group so that's crazy if you look at it so I think there was good and bad aspects of it looking back now but at the time I felt like it was a bit it was getting a bit out of hand with um a few 
a few things. Um, so yeah, I just, I had a few injuries as well at the time and they were kind of like just one after another, like injuries and yeah, a few upsets in the group. So I decided to leave. Um, I just felt as well, like I needed a change. Um, cause I'd been with that group my whole running career, um, up until the age of 19. So I was just ready for a, a new change really. Was that competition that the group was creating amongst itself? Did that lead to those injuries? Do you think that you were pushing yourself a bit too hard? Um, yeah, we were definitely training really hard. <laughs> um, like, <laughs> like people joke about it now when they look back. One of my Dutch friends, she always says that the Dutch athletes used to look at the British athletes and think that they train crazy and none of them will make it to senior athletes because they all do crazy training. She told me back that back then that all the coaches would tell them, oh, don't worry about those junior British girls because they won't be around when they're seniors because it was just renowned that we trained really hard. But obviously we got a good success. So like, would I, would I not train as hard and then not take the success? I don't know, because luckily I've come through the other side. Maybe if I didn't come through the other side and I was like chronically fatigued for life, then I probably would have said the opposite. <laughs> But luckily, a few of us, like a few of us still run as well at a really high level. Um, obviously, like Steph 12 still running, Lily Partridge still running, like Emma Pallance moved to triathlon. Um, she's like still doing that. So and myself, we're all still running and have represented Great Britain as a senior. So like you could say it was really a success still that yeah. we all survived. <laughs> yeah, you would literally survive. Do, do you think that was the there's anything that was gender specific about that do you think boys would have done the same thing been super competitive in the training group and maybe had fallouts or or been getting injured or, or do you think it's it was just a training group thing I think the boys there was a good boys group but they weren't like having as much success as the girls like um Steph and Emma won like medals at world junior on the track um and like, I got three medals at the European cross um Steph got three medals at the European Cross like we were getting medals like consistently at European and world events whereas the boys weren't doing that so I feel like um it wasn't as competitive within the boys group because they weren't yeah there was pro- there was probably like one or two standout like um mm-hmm. Andy Vernon used to train at Aldershot a couple of times like Chris Thompson like they were obviously standout athletes but it wasn't as much of a group whereas we were like a current group like Amelia Greca she was getting uh world junior medal um I think she got third at 3k for uh at the world juniors um she was like record holder uh, as a junior so like we were all like each one of us had was were doing something like amazing really at the time yeah um whereas the boys group were kind of like I said one or two standouts but it probably wasn't as competitive because yeah there wasn't as many people at the top was there as many people full stop? So was the boys training group as big as the girls or the other way around? Yeah, no, the boys training group was just as big as the girls and we would train with the boys as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, we we had a good group. Yeah, it was it was good at the time. Just, yeah, it was intense. <laughs> yeah. OK, so it's really interesting. So I'd I, I like to fast forward now to effectively the present day, thinking about girls coming through as you did at that age as if they're coming through now, what would be different for them? And one of the really telling things, I think, is that, you know, you were 11, thinking by my maths in 2003, 2004, and 15, as you said, in 2007, 2008. And at that period of time, there was no social media. So Facebook came in 2004. Twitter was a few years after that. Instagram was quite a long time after that. Yeah. Girls now are coming into, into their teenage years with social media what impact do you think that might be having on their development as athletes or their attitudes towards sport? Uh, obviously, I did. I remember having Facebook when I was at school. I guess just like the comparison thing where you, if you're, you're like a young kid and you see another one of your competitors doing like posting that they're running all the time, you might think, oh, they're doing a run every day. I need to do a run every day. Hmm. Um, that kind of thing. Whereas obviously you know what social media is like like I could take 10 photos and post that I'm doing like 20 miles every day this week but in reality I'm not I'm not doing that you could just post it's like all fake you don't know what someone's doing but as a young obviously I know that now 
But like as if you're like 11 years old and you see one of your competitors posting that they're doing a session every day, you might think, oh, I need to do a session every day. But actually, I only do uh, like three sessions a week and I have a rest day on a Friday. But this girl doesn't have a rest day because she posts on social media that she doesn't. Yeah. That kind of thing could become dangerous because then you think you can kind of change what you're doing based on social media. So I think yeah obviously maybe some like education from people saying like you know social media is not reality you don't know what someone's doing um that yeah kind of- I, th- I think that's interesting because you it's like your training groups you're you, you've got your peers around you and actually some of them are your competitors if you're looking at you know trying to get international bests or even win national races yeah. because you're all so good you were competing with them as well as being part of the team but you saw them all the time so you knew you knew what they were doing and you would have been talking about it, I'm sure. But in social media, well, you, you had no no understanding of what was what was going on anywhere else. But in social media, people are now able to see what everybody's doing potentially, which creates that same effect as your training group because you're seeing what everyone else is doing, going right. I've got to do more than her, or I've got to beat him, and that creates a pressure, and yeah. an, expect, an expectation on amongst people that could be dangerous. Yeah, it definitely does. And also, like I said before, you don't know like anyone can post anything like you could be lying in a hospital bed posting an old running picture so Mm. it just but obviously yeah you know that now as an adult but if you're 11 years old you might not be able to grasp that concept um so I think it is a bit toxic to be honest yeah Um, the comparison trap really yeah you've got to focus on your own training and your own development like people also develop at different rates like some of my competitors now they didn't start running until like three or four years ago. Like I look at Sinead, she started running age 33. um, And obviously she's Australian record holder, like 221 in the marathon, but she Mm. wasn't, she wasn't even running at age 25. Like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, um, people definitely have like different pathways. So I don't think like comparing is a good thing to do. No. So going back to how you were successful in those early years is about your own internal driver and knowing your, you yourself, what you wanted to do. And it was enjoying the training, enjoying the racing and, go, and enjoying the events and going in a bus and hanging out with mates and stuff. That was the important thing at that point in time. It wasn't about the external presentation of it. So at the time there wasn't any external presentation. You know, you might have at some point done some Facebooking around it, but you know, probably not a lot. And it was certainly wasn't as big as say your Instagram following today. So you you didn't have to play that game and nor do people as they grow up. But I think people feel like they, they need to. And social media is interesting in athletics and sport in general, isn't it? Because it helps build and raise your profile, which is important for sponsorship, endorsement, all of that kind of stuff. To what extent do you think that's different for women than it is for men, if at all? I don't think it is that different in athletics. Um, I see like pretty similar Um I don't know about other sports, but I think for athletics, it's pretty similar. The opportunities and um, hosting and stuff. I wouldn't say like a brand would act any differently to a man or a woman. No. Okay. Um, Do you think that men and women act differently in social media? Do you think you're posting more frequently than men? Have bigger following than most men of your sort of peer group? Um, I've never really thought about it, to be honest. I think... um, no, I don't think, I think it depends on the individual a lot. Like I'll go through phases even where I'll post a lot and then sometimes I won't. And it's not just, it's not to do with sponsors. Sometimes it's just literally because I'm going for a run. I'm not going to, I'm personally not going to take a camera. Like if someone happens to take a photo of me training, then I'll post it. But the majority of the time I'm just out in the park by myself. I don't have anyone following me with a phone, with a camera. Yeah. Um, so I think it depends on the time of year and like, that's for me personally but also on the individual like some people might have someone that can take pictures of them all the time running so then they'll post those but some people might do all their training alone and have to go before they have to look after their kids all day so they won't post as much so I think it is very individual um that kind of thing yeah and again it's about understanding your drivers and making sure that your internal drivers are the most important thing so you're going for a run on your own because you like going for a run not because you want to post your run exactly. on social, social media because that seems a bit far removed from what you're trying to do and of course you want to win things and you want to have a profile and have a presence because of that but that's not the main thing the main thing is you performing and enjoying your training enjoying the process of training and then racing just like you always did 
Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So actually, nothing's really changed for you, has it? Your drivers have always been internal drivers. They've always been about you wanting to do the sport once you realised it was available to do. And that still is true today. Yeah, obviously now I'd say there's a little bit more pressure because it's my job. So when I don't race, I don't get paid. <laughs> um, yeah. Obviously, I do have like um, sponsors, which I'm very grateful for. But when you know, when you race and you do a good performance, you get like more money. So for me, like, obviously, there's a lot more pressure now um, to run well. Whereas when I was a young kid, if I won the English schools, I didn't get paid for that. It was just for fun. And I got a trophy. Whereas now it's not really about the trophy as much um <laughs> but it's still um it's still the same motivation I'd say deep down obviously I wouldn't do it every day I've had like a lot of times where I haven't raced for a long time like now is a long as a period of time where I haven't properly raced for ages um so I wouldn't be doing like, I wouldn't be out here training every day if I didn't enjoy it um but yeah there are slightly more pressures now <laughs> do you think that makes it less fun yes and no when you do get the good performance you obviously it feels like all worth it and it's yeah you know you like pay the bills and it's like good but when it's bad it's um definitely less fun because it's more pressure to Mm. get back whereas before if I was injured for six months you know I might just focus on school or something whereas now if I'm injured for six months for, for example and I can't race it's like literally a ticking time bomb like oh I need to race to earn money to pay my bills kind of thing yeah well um, it's your life now you don't have a, another distraction do you because training and running is what you do pretty obviously I've got like the coaching which is great because it does take my mind off um the training yeah. every day and it is something else so I think it is important to have something else some people might have like kids and a family or something else or a lot of people still do have other jobs as well as running but in the end obviously running is where I earn most of my money so there is there is a bit more pressure than there was when I was a child <laughs> yeah of course as there is for all of us you know once yeah. being, being an adult is no more exactly as as being a child. <laughs> it's the same um, as any job really like you said if I wasn't running as a job I'd have to get like a proper job you say and then obviously there's pressures at your proper job you can't do a nine to five and then think like oh, I'm not going to go to work for three days because I don't feel like it it's the same kind of vibe um yeah. you get out what you put in really <laughs> yeah I mean I, I it depends which way you look at it but I think you, you job that you've chosen basically being a marathon runner is a particularly tough job because mm-hmm. you, you only actually get to do your job a couple of times a year if you're lucky if you're injury free and you know how much you earn is directly related to how often you race and how well you race unlike lots of other jobs where what how much you earn can be completely disconnected from actually what you do can be related to the market conditions, the way the business is performing, how the, your team is performing around you and what you do is can be of secondary importance. Whereas your income is all about you and how you perform. So that creates pressure. But equally, it works for you because you're, uh, you're driven by your own internal, um, you have your own internal drivers. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> yeah. Thinking about men and women's sport a little bit, I, when I look at men and women's sport, and the differences between men and women's sport. Athletics is probably the one that's treated the most equally, both in terms of profile of the athletes, the way the sport is shown to us via media, and probably in the way that people are paid for it as well. So a couple of, just got a couple of questions for for you around that. The first of those is, is that right? You know, are men and women treated equally in athletics or more equally in athletics than they are in other sports, in your opinion? And secondly, what is your experiences of the treatment of women and men at international events? Is it the same or is it different? Um, yeah, I would say it's pretty similar because we do the same distance. Everything's really pretty much the same, like the marathon, mm. 10K, like they, we get the same opportunities. So I think um, based on my experience, obviously cross country, sometimes there has a difference in events, but a uh, uh, distance, sorry, not events. Um, but I'd say in general, pretty similar. Um, and treatment in international competitions, I'd say the same because there's a men's marathon, there's a women's marathon. It's not any different, I would say, based on mm. my experience. Um, yeah, yeah, that's good to know because I think the assumption would be from a from a spectator perspective, looking at through media and also being live events, they are treated exactly the same. The athletes are treated the same. There's, there's the same sort of coverage. Sometimes when you know you've got the London Marathon 
that's been shown on TV. People can criticise the fact that it's often the men's race that gets more of the headline exposure than the female race when it comes to actually covering it. But the way you're treated is very, very similar. Yet the sport is, is different. I mean, there's lots of things that are the same, but one of the key differences is obviously the speed at which women run at versus men. But no one really cares about that, do they? No, I think because obviously you're competing against like for like if men competed against women then it would be obvious a lot more yeah in the marathon if you know all the women are coming like really far down in the race but I think because we have our own separate races and equal coverage I I think it's the same and it's it's equally exciting the one time they meddled with that was when they did the mixed relays I can't remember if they're still doing that in the event and it's just a bit rubbish wasn't it I felt because it just exposed the differences when we don't really need that we didn't need to talk about that and have that to confront us really it was like (laughs) let everyone race against the people they should be racing against because it's just as exciting watching a good women's race as it is watching a good men's race even though it's a little bit slower yeah true I never even thought about like the slowerness of it I always just think yeah yeah, like you said like the men's race and the women's race and you just you just take the fact that the men's race is going to be won in around like 205 and the women's is going to be run in like 220 maybe for example you just don't think about the extra time for the marathon that is but yeah for athletics I think we're pretty lucky in the fact that it's not not that much different no at all so what a great sport you ended up doing yeah exactly yeah what a great (laughs) what a great sport yeah so i'll let you go yeah thanks so much no thank you very much and stay well and enjoy the next couple of weeks and i'll I'll speak to you soon yeah thank you take care bye okay i think we can see some clear themes emerging from that conversation there's a number of them that will carry on into the next few episodes the first is something i said at the very beginning you don't know if you don't try and i think it's really interesting that charlotte had no idea of her running talent or her physical capability she'd gone down a somewhat cliched route for a girl of dance a bit of tap until a bit of luck intervened her friends persuaded her to run the school cross country and it went from there. She was spotted and her capability grew rapidly after that. And the hypothesis now is, would it take the same amount of luck for boys? And I think it would to a certain extent, but I think boys are much more likely to be in a position where they will get spotted because after all, the cliches are that sport is for boys. And what you often see in junior schools and primary schools is the boys who are good at one sport get picked for the, for the others because the assumption is they're good at one thing, they'll be good at many things. But what does that miss? And in particular, what does it miss in running? I think it's one thing altogether having a boy who's got good hand-eye coordination and might be strong and big and he's very capable at ball sports, let's say. But it's a completely different thing spotting people who are likely to be good at running, who've got a genetic, physiological makeup that really suits the sport of running of different distances, of course. And Charlotte in there talks about Sinead Diver, the Australian marathon runner, who is setting Australian records in her 40s, having only discovered her own capability in her 30s. So we just don't know until we try. And on that basis, on that basis alone, we should be looking to provide opportunities for everyone. The second theme, something I talked about in the first episode, which is the role of female role models and male allies. An interesting Charlotte spoke about how important it was that the role models were relatable. People she knew, people she could see, not Paula Radcliffe or Kelly Holmes, they were deemed to be untouchable superstars. It's the people nearer that provide the role models. And then of course, the male allies from Mick Woods, the coach who plucked her from that school cross country, through to club mates, running with men generally, and perhaps even her partner Adam to the present day. So female role models, male allies, who feel critical. The third theme was the importance of being internally driven. 
Now, as we go through teenage years, boys and girls stop playing so much sport, but it particularly hits girls because, as we discussed in the first episode of society's perspectives on femininity, what that means to girls' body image as they develop and as they grow. And perhaps the idea of sport is just not for girls. But Charlotte had no external pressure, barely any social media, parents who didn't have expectations of her at all, who supported her all the way, and her drive and her ambition and her enjoyment of the sport for the sake of the sport kept her going through those often tricky teenage years. So being internally driven, no allowing external expectations to dominate the actions. That's the third theme. The fourth theme, which I think came through loud and clear towards the end there, was that she doesn't even think about the comparison with men. It's not on the radar at all. Racing is racing. Men against men, women against women. It's just as exciting either way round. The comparison between men's sport and women's sport is an unhelpful one to make. And that leads to theme number five, which is perhaps the most illuminating thing from that conversation, which is that Charlotte just doesn't even think about it. It doesn't occur to her that there might be a difference between men and women in sport because her experience is it's all very much the same. So she's used to it. The prestige, the profile, the popularity, it's all very equal in running. And that's a positive place to be for her because she's not having to consider these factors. Her mindset is just to concentrate on herself, allow her internal drivers to push her on. And perhaps it does indeed point to the fact that athletics and running within athletics is the most equal of all the sports. It doesn't mean there's not more to do. It doesn't mean that there's nothing to see here. But perhaps it means that other sports can learn from what's happening in running. And we will continue to explore that idea and the themes that sit around this in the next few episodes. But three more. So I hope that you found this one interesting. Hope you got something out of it. And I'll be back again soon with the next one. In the meantime, thanks for joining me and please take care. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.